Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. What style of penalty will this be? Up he comes, there's a little leap and he tucks it away. Schmeichel went the wrong way. And Chelsea lead Leicester by two goals to nil. And Chelsea now looking good for the top four finish that they and Thomas Tuchel and all of these 8,000 supporters and Chelsea fans everywhere wanted. I'm so happy that we could show a performance like this with our fans in the back, push us and... and helped us. It was a well-deserved win and uh, I'm happy but uh, the job is not done yet. We need another two. This is Straight Outta Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this bonus episode, Blues beat Leicester to keep their top four fate in their own hands. We look ahead to the crucial final Premier League game of the season at Villa Park, answer your questions and more. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Hello again, listener. It's Matt Davis-Adams here with the Athletics 3 Chelsea experts. Hello, Simon Johnson. Hello. Liam Toomey's also with us. The one week Dom doesn't join us and things take a turn for the better. <laughs> yeah, get him off. <laughs> um, so, Dominic Fifield, you were, you were right all along. I mean, all being well on Sunday, there, there was no reason for us to be panicking this time a week ago. Albeit, I did say that Liverpool wouldn't suddenly start winning matches and then their goalkeeper pops up in the 95th minute and starts heading in winners. So, um, But yes, it was always in Chelsea's hands and you guys were all panicking for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And now we've got a situation where I think four clubs will qualify for the Champions League who a month ago didn't actually want to be in the Champions League. So, great. Listen, there's still that last day narrative of Roy Hodgson getting his ultimate revenge on, on Liverpool. I'm, I'm standing by that. <laughs> Uh, we'll see as far as that goes, but there's only one place we can start today. Congratulations to them. They won and everything. And uh, I think celebrate, celebrate and everything. But don't uh, don't disrespect uh, club history. You know? this, is, this is a bit bigger than you. Sweet revenge for Chelsea then, as just three days after the FA Cup final defeat to Leicester City, the Blues beat the Foxes by two goals to one at a raucous Stamford Bridge to go above Leicester and into third place. It means if Chelsea win at Aston Villa on Sunday, that will be their final position. Uh, Simon, you were at the game for the Athletic. Before we talk about the match, tell us about about the occasion, how it was having supporters back. And and do you think it actually did make a difference? It seems to be the, the popular opinion. Oh, it definitely did. I mean, first and foremost, it made a difference for me. Uh, <laughs> just, just into well, yeah, it woke me up. Um, no, it, um, it was. It just felt like proper football again. Um, from the moment I arrived at the Fulham Road, just sort of that buzz of, of people walking around, um, the the people selling stuff, just that sort of you're at an occasion, and also the the eight thousand people that turned up, pretty much all eight thousand of them were in good voice. I mean that was that was a really loud atmosphere, and I don't think it was just because I haven't heard one for for fourteen months. I wasn't at the Leeds game, 
in December, it was genuinely loud. And you sort of sat there thinking, wow, if 8,000 people can make this much noise, imagine how many, sort of, how much noise, like if everyone of a 40,000, 42,000, you know, if everyone turned up in that frame of mind. But yet you could tell, like the players, when they were warming up and the, and the Chelsea fans were sort of going through the repertoire of songs and singing each, each by name. And I think it also contributed to the bit of needle, you know, the, the sort of the ruckus near the end. It had that sort of Battle of Stamford Bridge in 2016 about it. And I do think Leicester players were, I think they were a little bit negatively affected by it, but mainly it was Chelsea. Uh, they were They were fired up, they were passionate, they were... They play with an intensity that I don't think they've really played with in the league um, for a few weeks, and it, it definitely helped them get over the line. Yeah, that's that's been noticeable, Dom. Actually, not just at Stamford Bridge, but in in all these games now that we've seen supporters in the intensity seems to be the the thing that's really ramped up, and and people getting booked and things like that, which hasn't seemed to happen very much over the last year or so. Yeah, I I attended a game as a as a supporter this week, and it was. I can completely see where Simon's coming from on 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 the noise. I think it is partly that we just not we've become accustomed to these rather soulless, quiet occasions over the last fourteen months. But I loved the the sort of pantomime villain thing that that comes out. You know, you when when a set of supporters picks on one opposing player and, and relentlessly harasses that person, and, and and in the game that I attended, that particular player seemed to take it in good spirit, and it was almost like he'd been missing that as well over the last fourteen months. But look, it's no surprise that yeah, you start to get the handbags, you start to get the uh, the big melees on the on the touchline and out on the pitch when. When there is noise, there is atmosphere, there is a bit of needle, there's a bit of electricity in the ground, and my word, we've missed it. How we've missed it, and it's just—it's brilliant. If, as you say, eight thousand at the bridge this week, next season, hopefully, let's get forty thousand back in, and it'll just—oh, it's going to be fantastic again. In terms of the game, Liam Thomas Tuchel complained a couple of weeks ago, actually, after Man City about the the lack of time in in the build up between the cup final and then the league game between Leicester. It did seem odd to have it on Tuesday rather than on Wednesday. But but did that actually work in Chelsea's favour? As it turned out, because because Leicester was still pretty drained slash hungover, and Chelsea still had that <laughs> sense of grievance fresh in their mind. Yeah, I think so. And any tiredness in the Chelsea legs was uh, was evaporated by the sight of Daniel Amati throwing the, the 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 coat of arms over his shoulder the proud Chelsea lion going flying across the Leicester dressing room <laughs> the the sheer disrespect shown to more than 100 years of history um yeah uh, Dom Dom's <laughs> laughing in the background dismissively but yeah it, it was it was ridiculous but it's the kind of thing that 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 footballers hold up isn't it i mean simon and i were joking in our discussion piece last week that it it would be pinned up on the virtual wall of the first team whatsapp group and that's kind of what happened um it was just something for them to use something to give them a bit more bit more motivation to add to what was already the sting of um heartache at wembley and it and it worked. And on the other side, there was always going to be an emotional come down for Leicester, given how big a day that was in the history of their club. And I think, you know, everything we saw on the pitch kind of transpired from that. Yeah, biggest pennant story since that time. Jermaine left his car at Zaragoza train station and 
and forgot about it. Um, Simon, in, in terms of in terms of team selection, one thing that was very interesting was Reese James and, and Cesar Azpilicueta continuing to, to swap roles. Here's another James asking, do you think we'll see more of that after his good performances against Leicester? We kind of wondered about losing James's crossing ability, but he's definitely shown that he's capable of playing this new role too. Certainly can't be ruled out because, um, yeah, there's two games in a row but it does feel a bit temporary that whilst sort of Christensen was, was ruled out again, that sort of James is sort of being filling in at, the, at that point in that role. But who knows sort of going forward next season? Um, I, I'd be very surprised, put it this, put it this way, that, that Rhys James plays as the right side centre-back against Man City. Uh, I'd, I'd be flabbergasted if that happens. Um, one thing I forgot to mention in terms of the crowd was... And, and it was very notable, was the complete and utter support for Timo Werner. And this started before the game. They were singing his name constantly and, and just throughout the game, backing it. I mean, Timo Werner had another Timo Werner kind of game. He was a threat, but also um, almost Leicester's best defender um, in the way that he sort of managed to not score a goal. Or when he did, he was offside or he was punching it over the line when he could have just headed it in. But it, it was great. It, it reminded me a bit of, um, you know, sometimes Chelsea fans can turn on a, a striker, uh, be against them. But sometimes it, they've shown that they will they will just back a striker no matter what. And I'm sort of thinking Fernando Torres, Ty Kesman, Kazaragi. Yeah, there's a few that have, no matter what, what they do or how badly they play or how many chances they miss... The crowd are going to be behind them, and I, I thought it was really noticeable because I thought, sort of, what side of the fence they're going to go with Werner? Because Werner has had a lot of criticism, um, not just from us, but one is aware of it on, on sort of social media, etc. But the Chelsea fans that were there on on Tuesday night were, were fantastic with him, and and I think even though he didn't get his goal, I think he was inspired by it, and 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 you sort of think with that kind of support next season, perhaps we'll see a better team of Werner. Can I just add that I want to um, put on record my admiration for Timo Werner celebrating a handball goal with a knee slide. Um, <laughs> and I think in the days before VAR, if that hadn't have been overturned, it counted, it would have been an iconic Premier League moment and celebration. So I, I, I can only respect that level of hustle. <laughs> uh, yeah, Andrew tweeted us to ask about about the difference when, when Werner starts and when he doesn't. Um, Dom, in terms of... The the front three, Havertz has obviously got this little injury problem. Pulisic was given a start on Tuesday and didn't particularly impress, nor did Ziyech on, on Saturday. Werner's the first pick of those three at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, I'd say so. And in fairness, if I was... Well, I'm not... <laughs> thankfully, I'm not too, too cool and picking a team for Sunday, but I would have thought that the, the pace offered by Werner and Pulisic with the sort of guile and drive of a Mason Mount would be the obvious three to go with again. That seems the most comfortable. I mean, Ziyech is, I don't know whether he suffered from coming in and out, but he doesn't seem to be quite the player that he was for, a, he had a little purple patch and now he's faded again. Um, Havertz is obviously, you know, the, the whole tag of the, uh, of Liam's generational talent is weighing quite heavily on his <laughs> shoulders or calf or whatever the issue is. But it's, I mean, his, look, his time will come. It's not, that's not an issue, but I think when you, when you're picking a team for well two games, 
Villa, then you've got a break of a week to prepare for the Champions League final. I'd say that that that, that fluidity that's given by Werner and, and Pulisic and the way that it alarms a backline, bearing in mind that Villa's backline in particular are they're, they're big and strong. They're, you know, it's it's probably Courtney Howes. It might be Tyrone Mings if he's back. It's 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 Conser. It's I think people that that Pulisic and Werner can unsettle with their pace. Um, and I, it just seems like the the most appropriate and comfortable combination for that front three. And yeah, I, I mean that that Werner is. I think you just have to accept that. Yes, as we said before on this podcast. He will miss some chances, but he will also unsettle defenders. He will unsettle back lines. He will stretch them. And that may open up opportunities for others, you know, bursting through from midfield. And you just have to, you just accept that that is what is going to happen. That is the way it's going to work. Uh, and one day, one day, everything he hits will fly in and it will just feel like a masterstroke. Simon, before we move on on from Leicester, I want to get your um, your take on on how the crowd reacted to all the VAR decisions in the game and and what was your view of the penalty that wasn't and did you think that the one that was given should have been? <laughs> well, as, as far as the crowd reaction goes, it was clearly a hangover from from Arsenal and particularly Wembley. Um, there was a lot of anger and um, it's not football anymore. It was was the, perhaps the cleanest chant that I can repeat. Um was sung very loudly. Um, there was a lot, a lot of anger, but you know that's always going to be the case when your team is seen to be slighted. The first penalty decision was bizarre in that it wasn't given, and every time you see a replay of it, you, you, you're more and more baffled. Uh, Mike Dean didn't get it on the pitch, and Andre Mariner didn't overrule that that decision on VAR either. It was very, very odd, and it almost, it almost felt like a let's balance things up a little bit. There was a bit of a clip, a, a little touch, Snicko needed to use a, a cricket reference um, on, by Fafano on Timo Werner for the for the for the actual penalty that was given. It was a very very slight touch, and and Werner made the most of it. But so then you could have Leicester fans if there were any there that that could have voiced similar similar um, issues. But yeah, I I just think generally football fans hate VAR but particularly when it goes against their team. I was just going to ask, Si, given you were there, and the game that I attended, the VAR decisions appearing on the big screen, there was a horrendous delay. Mm. You see, there'd be a pause on the pitch, and it was very obvious that, the, that VAR was looking at something. And then after about 10 seconds, it would come up, VAR checking, whatever, with Doc Brown doing that weird sort of rather automated voice on the, on the, on the big screen. Um, and then the referee would... Blue, play resumed, VAR's still up there. And then about 10 seconds later, while the game is going on, it says VAR has checked this. It's not a handball or whatever. It's not a not a penalty and we play on. Um, but did that happen at Stamford Bridge? Because, I mean, that just made a farce at the match I saw. The, the first one, the, there wasn't really much of a check um, from what I could see. It, it seemed to be over before it had really begun. Which was which was really baffling. So I think I think um, I don't know whether you saw anything different, Matt, but there, there just seemed to be no sort of real investigation into the decision at all. It was it was very and, and then sort of word got out. I think um, mm. not the, the Matthew Harding end had a great view of it, so they were they were voicing their displeasure very quickly. But I think the more and more replays were shown on social media and stuff, you just got this 
increased level of anger um, and chance about it for the for the next sort of five ten minutes. Was that because the referee was confident in his own decision and there wasn't enough of a an obvious error? Is that was that the reason that was given? Presumably, yeah, presumably that. It's a, it's a referee who's usually confident in his own decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Mike Dean we're talking about. But it is utterly... You saw, saw the... Re, I think Sky showed replays at so many different angles. And there's one where it shows for Mike Dean's angle. And it's, he's got a perfect view of it. And Werner gets kicked in the back of the leg. I mean, Werner was very clever and very sharp in the way that he, he sort of managed to run and time get his body in front of the ball, but he was fouled. It was as blatant as that. And Chelsea will just hope. And you could sort of sense the anger in Tuchel's voice uh, when he was talk, sort of talking about it afterwards. The anger he felt from Arsenal and from the Leicester games. He just doesn't. He felt he clearly feels that decisions have been going against them. And let's just hope there's no controversy on on uh, on Sunday or in the Champions League final. Yeah, luckily those decisions didn't make any difference to the end result. Chelsea have kept their fate within their control, but they still have to finish the job off at Villa Park on Sunday. We'll look ahead to that game next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Aston Villa versus Chelsea, like all the other games on the last day of the Premier League season, gets underway at four o'clock UK time on Sunday afternoon. Liam, what's what's Chelsea's approach to this game? Are they going to go all out for the win? Are they going to be a little bit more cautious? They have to go to win it. I mean, technically, they only have to match Leicester's result don't they to make sure they're in the top four but given the way Tottenham have been playing recently I don't think you can expect any favours there even disregarding the uh, the relationship between the clubs um, so Chelsea just have to look at this and I'm sure this is exactly what Tuchel will be telling his players they just have to look at this as a game that they they need to win and also they need to make sure that they maintain coming back to that big word Simon keeps mentioning momentum they have to make sure that they're they're maintaining that momentum going into the Champions League final you can't end the Premier League season with a whimper let alone a whimper that might actually cost you a top 4 place ahead of the most important game that Chelsea have had for many years and you certainly don't want to be going to Porto as you did in 2012 knowing that you have to win the Champions League to be in it next season um, so I, I think in every aspect no matter which team Tuchel picks they'll be sent out there f- being firmly told you have to go and win this game In terms of the team that, that might be selected Simon here's Bantu asking should we rest Kante and Mount for Villa and is there any chance that Havertz will be available to play? Um, I I think if players are fit, they have to play. Simple as that. You can't be thinking... I've been talking about this sort of in previous pods about thinking one game ahead. It's all about the task at hand. They've got to win this game. Yes, there's concern about Conte, although although Tuchel was, was making it clear that it wasn't as bad as first feared. I think Havertz just sort of reading reading between the lines of what he said is a little bit more touch and go. So I, I don't think you... You want to mess with him, and, and and as Dom sort of, I think, sort of well explained that 
that perhaps this isn't the game for him anyway in terms of leading the line against those centre-backs. Um, Christensen has got a great chance. Um, he was close. He was close to playing Tuesday night. Um, so I think one more game. What was good about Leicester, of course, which we haven't mentioned, was Kovacic coming back and getting such minutes under his legs. Although, <laughs> although um, he was at fault for the first goal and he also lost his runner, Perez, for the for the chance in injury time. So it was almost like a... that I think if there was an element of lack of match sharpness, those two instances were a sign of that. And and it's good, though, that he got he got away with it and he's clearly... I think he's going to play on, on, on Sunday. So there is a chance to rest Conte, but if it was me, if there's a chance that he's fit and you sort of think, yes, he can, he can play in the Champions League final as well, I think you've got to take that risk because... On paper, people will point to Tottenham being able to give Leicester a game, but the way they played against Villa suggests otherwise, that they look like a broken club. So I think Chelsea have to go into that game assuming Liverpool and Tottenham have got the three points. So they have to go for the three points too. And and Conte is the one I'd I'd want in that midfield just to continue my bants with with Dom. (laughs) Dom, we've mentioned Christensen and, and Kovacic there, one back from injury, the other one hopefully back from injury. Do they both have to start in this game to have any chance of starting the Champions League final? No, because because a player might pull up with an injury that starts on this weekend and, and or, or suffer some kind of, of relapse. I mean, look, I don't think... If, if a player hasn't been playing for a while, I mean, I'm, this is more aimed at Kovacic than, than Christensen, I think. If 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 Tuchel thinks that there's there's a partnership that's developed between Conte and Jorginho in that, in that midfield too, then there might be a logic in sticking with that for the for the Champions League final, if they perform well on Sunday at Villa Park. But it's nice to have that option. And it's nice to have somebody that you can, of, of Kovacic's quality, that you can come on, that can come onto the pitch and relieve some of the pressure, hopefully. I mean, he, look, he was rusty. He was rusty, definitely, against Leicester. And, and he did make errors and he was a bit slapdash. But I don't think that will remain the case very long. I, I, I expect that if he, if he has a cameo at Villa Park on Sunday, he'll be a hell of a lot better. He's a, that that good a player. He won't he won't let the standards slip for too long. With the centre halves, it's slightly different, I guess, uh, and it might depend. It might be more opponent specific. The idea that Reese James was playing as that third centre half to try and negate Jamie Vardy was was match specific for the two Leicester fixtures. Presumably, it still makes more sense, I think, largely to to have Azpilicueta in there as the third, the right sided centre backs. And that James would offer more going forward on the, as a right wing back, but there there may be a case if, if against City um, in the Champions League final where as Pilicueta plays on as right wing back and Christensen slots into that into that position in in, in the three centre half. He's got options there, and I think those those guys are more interchangeable. Really, um, it won't take Christensen long to get back up to pace either. Well, joining us now to give us the lowdown on Chelsea's opponents on Sunday is the Athletics Aston Villa reporter, Greg Evans. Uh, Greg, we're speaking the morning after Villa's win at Spurs. From what I saw of the game, it, it was thoroughly merited. Is that, is that the best they played for a while? 
Uh, yeah, it was, Matt, to be honest. Yeah, they, they, they were fantastic. Uh, Spurs were very Spursy, um, <laughs> f- t- failing to turn up when all the fans thought that they would uh, come and put on a show for them. Uh, but yeah, v- Villa were great. Look, you know, there's been a lot of criticism actually aimed at, uh, at Dean Smith and the players in, in, in recent times just because Villa started the season so well um, and then have tailed off in the last few months. But that was a performance really that, that reminded everybody just how just how good Villa can be really on their day and just how good um, this season has been for them. Yeah, you mentioned that that start. It, it feels like one of those where if the, if the season had happened in reverse, there'd be a lot of positivity about Aston Villa at the moment. You know, second in October, put seven past Liverpool, but but it's just tailed off a little bit since. Yeah, it's, it's incredible really, isn't it? I mean, it feels like another uh, another lifetime ago that that 7-2 result w- was being recorded and crazy to think that it, it's still the same season but yeah yeah you, you're totally right v- Villa won the first four games of this season and if they had recorded those four wins in in the last four games of the season for example then um, you know the momentum would be firmly in their favour and, and going into next season but I think they've just got to look at it as a whole and think, look, Villa have recorded 52 points, that they're, they're going to finish 11th in the table. It's a huge step forward um, from last season where they finished uh, 17th and survived on the final day of the season. And there's a lot to like about this team and, and you feel like that, you know they're the youngest group in, in the Premier League. Um, they can develop and become even better players and the owners are very engaged and enthused and, and you know that they're going to spend more money in the summer. So it's a good time to be a Villa fan. Yeah, I, I think they... Supporters expected a little bit more with the way that they started the season, but you've got to be realistic and think, you know, 11th place is, is a good season. Greg, I'm going to do the honours for our producer who's desperate for this question to be asked. <laughs> um, so one player that won't be playing on Sunday against Chelsea is Ross Barkley. How, how has he done over the course of this season? Because he, he, he seemed so instrumental in that 7-2 when Villa were playing well in the first start, he seemed to be playing some of the best football of, of his recent career, but he seems to have completely faded off the scene. I mean, I'm presuming there's absolutely no chance that, that Villa will go on and try and make that move permanent. No, I mean, you know, unfortunately for Barkley, that his time at, at Villa is now over and it's been a disappointing season for him, hasn't it? He was supposed to come here um, to the Midlands and, and light it up, really, and, and be the star player. He was supposed to come and play every game and uh, force his way into the England team. Dean Smith promised him the amount of game time, but, he, you know, he needed something back from him in return. And yes, he started the season well. Yes, he had the ankle injury that that that, let, that ruled him out for... Um, Sorry, the hamstring injury that ruled him out for a couple of months. You know that that was a real, real big setback for him. But when he came back after that, he just he just couldn't find his groove. And not only was he not producing um, moments in the attacking third, he, he was actually becoming a liability for Villa. And he was coming on, and he was misplacing passes that were causing dangerous attacks for the opposition. And then he lost his place and, and you know, he got to the stage where Jacob Ramsey, a 19-year-old, was playing in ahead of him. And it's never great then when, when things like that happen. And unfortunately, Barkley's going to have to reinvent himself somewhere else now and, and, and it's not going to be at Villa. Hi, Greg. It's Simon here. Um, first and foremost, apologies for taking the press pass on, on Sunday. I can say it to you. <laughs> 
on the line. It's shocking behaviour, Simon. To be honest, I, just can't, I can't believe it. I was very, I was very nice and reasoned with you over text, but I'm, I'm a little bit raging inside. I, I could, I could, I could feel the smoke, smoke coming off every every character that you you typed in your phone. Um, but speaking of characters, nice link there. Really, um, <laughs> um, I, I'm just quite interested in in. Um, so what what kind of level of impact I'm sure listeners want to hear that that, that John Terry's having at the club, um, you know, is he is he sort of becoming even stronger this season in terms in terms of an assistant and and you know can Villa hang on to him? You know, is there a possibility that that John John might actually end up sort of start looking for a job in to manage a club in his own right? Yeah, do you know what we really don't hear much from him. He's not done one interview since he's since he's moved to Villa. Um, he really doesn't get involved, and he kind of just basically, you know, he's an assistant. <laughs> he just sort of stays in the background, which is very un John Terry like. But um, speaking to the players, they all say that he's made a big impact. You know, the defense. I've, I've spoke to every individual defender at, at various points over over the last couple of years, and and every one of them speak highly of him. Um, he's very likable, you know, that the players can relate to him because he's still sort of got that modern, um, you know, twist uh, as, as a coach on him. Um, he can certainly relate to the modern dressing room, Carney. And, and I think at Villa, uh, certainly when he first came in, there were, a lot of the a lot of the players were using him to um, get them into various places and, and get various uh, designer cars and things. So <laughs> he certainly had, a, had an impact there, which, you know, we obviously expected. <laughs> of John Terry didn't we but I actually think Simon he, he'll he'll leave Villa next year I think he's waiting for the right opportunity he desperately wants to be a manager you know there's there's absolutely no hiding behind that and um, I think he's just waiting for the right opportunity and when that comes up we'll, we'll see we'll see him as a manager and I think that'll be next year and whether or not he will have the same kind of impact as, as Lampard had at Derby um you know, he, he's desperate to be a manager, so I think that's something we'll see soon. Greg, I was just going to ask about the the threat that Villa will pose to Chelsea on on Sunday, and lots been made of of Grealish, obviously, and he obviously started the game against Spurs, which is which is great for Villa. Um, but I, I watched Villa last weekend, and and Watkins is running down the, the the channels was unbelievable. He never stopped all day, and he caused the fullbacks and wingbacks so many problems. I mean, that, that would be something that presumably Villa will try and exploit. And also, can I ask about another ex-Chelsea player, Bertrand Traore, and how he's done and what threat he'll pose on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, if I just take Traore for starters, um, he's a maverick, isn't he? You know, he's gonna, he blows hot and cold, but th- there are times where he just produces such, such unbelievable movements and, he, and he's, his silky skills really um, are going to get bums off seats when, when, when you know, fans are back in. Obviously, this weekend. So, um, yeah, I think he'll be looking forward to the Chelsea game because it, it didn't quite work out for him. Uh, Chelsea and obviously had to move on to um, you know to take to take his career to the next level. But yeah, he's a game changer for Villa. He frustrates me at times because you think he can do so much better. Why doesn't he? You know, if he can just put the finishing touches to a lot of his movements, he could he could be a really 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 good player. But um, I think he'll be quite pleased with his with his first season back in the Premier League. You know he's done well, um, so it'd be interesting to see how he gets on Sunday. Uh, as for Grealish, I still feel like he's just um, a little bit tentative at the moment. It feels like he's not quite at full speed. It feels like he's nervous almost. He he isn't 
doing the things that he was doing at the start of this season purely because he's been out for so long and look he's got one eye on the Euros he desperately wants to play for England and feature so um, I think Chelsea will be getting him at a relatively good time because he's you know he's probably 80 he's probably an 80 percent Jack Grealish which is um you know still better than most players in the Premier League to be yeah. honest but um not quite as, as as good as he as he could be but uh yeah be an interesting one I, I, I do fancy Chelsea actually I think they'll they'll go and get the job done um Villa got the performance that they needed at Tottenham but just think Chelsea will be one step too many for them and finally then Greg will, will Villa's approach be kind of carefree you know, devil may care. It's, it's not that important to us, but we want to put a show on for the supporters now that we've got them in front of us. And, and might that mean it's a, a slightly more open game than, than would otherwise be the case? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, um, I, you know, it'd be nice to see them just go out and entertain. Look, you know, you, they can't go gunko against Chelsea because they'll get picked off and, and punished. But the fans inside will, will want to be entertained. They'll, they'll want to see the team having a go and... There's absolutely no pressure on them. Look, you know, I cast my mind back to 10 months ago when, you know, in in June, um, no, sorry, July, when, when Villa were trying to stay up on the last day of the season at West Ham. Um, I actually managed to get the pass to, to West Ham. So that was the reason why I let Simon go on, the, on this one. <laughs> so, I understand how important this game is for you, Simon. And uh, um, <laughs> so. I, 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 just, I just wanted to go to Birmingham, you know. <laughs> Greg, you've been very helpful. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. would say good luck on Sunday, but that would be disingenuous. So we'll just say thanks instead. Cheers, guys. Nice one. Greg Evans there. Follow him on Twitter at GregEvans40. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the BBC reporting this week that Emma Hayes has agreed to sign a new contract. Turns out that hers expired in June. Um, Liam, Chelsea kept that quiet, probably understandably so, but it's uh, it's good news that she's signing on again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and it's the kind of thing that maybe after, you know, defeat in the Champions League final, the manner of the defeat in the Champions League final might make you think that the key parties might reconsider or that certainly that Emma might reconsider um, her future. But I think it's it's probably been done for a few weeks or or considered you know pretty solid that it was going to happen. I think the fact that there's been so little reporting around it and so little speculation about her future beyond that that brief moment when she was being courted by AFC Wimbledon shows that I think everyone involved in that she would be part of Chelsea's planning for the long term and uh, and I think it goes back to everything we said about Emma Hayes in the Chelsea Women Project, she has a level of control, a level of influence over all aspects of the running of this club that she she wouldn't necessarily get anywhere else. And she's got incredible resources, an incredible standard of player to work with. And she's got the ability to keep competing for the one trophy she hasn't won yet. And I, I'm sure um, losing in the manner they did in Gothenburg to Barcelona will only make her more determined to try and come back next year and, and tick that one off. Uh, in other little news and notes, Tino Livramento was voted Chelsea's Young Player of the Year. I think that's probably fair. He's been the standout performer for the PL2 team this season. And Dom, Mason Mount got the main Player of the Year award. I think that was probably the most one-sided such competition in uh, in quite a while. Yeah, thoroughly well-deserved. 
He's had a, a fantastic season with two managers, two head coaches. Uh, three of you count Gareth Southgate with the England setup because he's integral to that as well. Um, he's a player that is improving all the time and it's testament to how well he's done that he feels so integral to this Chelsea team and to this England team. A player with a huge future in the game and uh, thoroughly, thoroughly well-deserved. Absolutely. Um, the other the other big piece of news concerning a Chelsea midfielder this week, Simon, has been Billy Gilmore's inclusion in the Scotland squad for the upcoming European Championship. Something you were reporting um, on in January when he was linked with, with low moves to Southampton and elsewhere. I guess this vindicates his decision to stay or, or maybe more accurately, Thomas Tuchel's decision that he wasn't going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, all's well that ends well. And, and I think it's those three starts earlier this month in a, in a row, those three Premier League starts in a row, I think were, were huge. Um, you know, particularly one of the games being against Manchester City. It gave Steve Clark a free hit to, to sort of watch watch him in action, see, see, I mean, he knows what he's about, but to see whether the lack of football has remotely hindered his progress, etc. It does feel an element of, an element of Phil Foden about this. You know that it's perhaps a lazy comparison to make, but there was such an outcry over the lack of games that Phil Foden was was getting, and that but Guardiola consistently resisted the, the sort of public outcry and just sort of edged him in slowly but surely. The the big decision, and it's great, and it was a great image as well, wasn't it? Of um, I think Ben Chilwell recorded Gilmore's reaction to, yeah. to finding out the news. It was really good. It was it was a great moment, and it, it that you know it's it brought out the sort of Oh, you know, he's he's a genuine, <laughs> genuine kid. You know, sort of excited to get his call up, and he's going to be a very useful aspect, I think, for for Scotland um, this summer. Even if he doesn't play, I think it's it's going to be a great experience for him. But of course, there's a big big decision that's still going to have to be made in the summer. You know, again, all the talk will be: should he stay or should he go? Um, if it was me, if if I if I could influence anything at all, uh, which is not at all, not even in my own household, but if I could sort of have a <laughs> casting vote, it would be for him to stay. I I just think that this kid is is he just looks like he's he's already at that level when he's on a pitch. It doesn't phase him, and he looks like a Chelsea player. And from the moment he start he, he first came on the pitch, he just looked like he belonged there. And and I think Chelsea would benefit from him being still on the scene next season. That's just about it for this episode. Before we go, we'll hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Liam's had to duck out to deal with some paving, so I'll do his bit. He's writing a piece on why Kai Havertz's eyes are so pretty. Um, Simon, <laughs> what about you? <laughs> uh, well, follow that. Um, I I, I uh, the. I'm still working on things ahead of the Champions League uh, final, and I'll I'll be at Villa Park as as I revealed with uh, our chat with Greg. Um, but obviously, on the side at the moment, there's the there's a piece you know in light of the following the Leicester game and and just hammering home just how the Chelsea players were fired up, even though Tuchel behind the scenes was was being very calm and measured post the cup final, the players really did have Amati's uh, behaviour firing them up and they were talking about it and so on and, and, and they played with that anger. So there's a piece on that. And um, there's a piece that's come out today, which has been in the basket for a while, but we've been waiting for the right time to use it. 
on own goals and what it's like to score an own goal. It's in homage to uh, Regulon's brilliant own goal for Tottenham. Uh, not only was it a brilliant own goal in its own right, but it was the thousandth Premier League own goal. And and I spoke to um, a few legends of the craft. Um, Lee Dixon, of course, you know, fans of an older persuasion will remember the, the beautiful chip that he did over David Seaman. And he talks about how he started the craze of lobbing David Seaman that that, <laughs> that, that Naeem and Ronaldinho um, went on to do with, in, in even bigger games. <laughs> There's Jamie Pollock who... Uh, he talks about he he That's the one. gold standard that one I think. Yeah, yeah. That's well, amazing. he talks about how QPR fans on an online poll ended up voting him because there was a poll for the um, most influential man of the of the last century or was it no no it was the millennium sorry, and uh, he finished above Jesus. Um, thanks <laughs> to, thanks thanks to QPR fans bombarding the poll apparently. Um, there's <laughs> Chris Brass who did a brilliant one where he, in clearing it, he he smacks against his own face, and then it goes into the corner. But what was so funny about it? He was going, he was explaining to me. He goes, "Yeah, I needed a nose operation. I was having trouble breathing, um, and by hitting the ball into my own face, he actually fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was an own goal that that." That ended up, he was in pain, but actually it did him some favours. And then, of course, what what was? Sorry, this is going on a while. Um, but what? This is like an athletic article. Yeah, what own goal conversation wouldn't be complete without a chat with Frank Sinclair? Because bring it back to Chelsea, um, who, who is in the top ten of uh, the most prolific own goal scorers? And I and. Um, when I actually sat down and talked to him about this, this was pre-pandemic, and I've been sort of waiting to use this part of the interview, I actually produced the, the video clip on YouTube of him, and I got him to talk through every own goal he scored. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and I was saying, Frank, you know, so what was going through your mind at this point? And um, there was a classic first week at Leicester at the start of the season where he scored an own goal against Arsenal, and then the following week, an own goal against Chelsea. It was probably one of the worst starts a player could make to the season. But anyway, there's lots more that I haven't said that's in the piece. And it's, it's very funny. Well, I think it's very funny and, it, and a subject we can all laugh about. Absolutely. Uh, how about you, Don? What's on uh, on your agenda? Well, I've got a couple of pieces in preparation for the Champions League final. Um, hoping to talk to, to Joe Cole for one and to America's only... Champions League winner for the other um, in anticipation of Christian Pulisic becoming the second I won't reveal who that is because no one will have heard of him apart from fans of a certain South London football club possibly um, uh, slightly more sobering in terms of what's what's on the site there's a, a piece uh, earlier this week with um, with the Dr Mark Prince OBE uh, father of um, Kyan Prince um who was a junior footballer at Queen's Park Rangers who, who was stabbed outside his school at the age of 15, 15 years ago. And um, Mark Prince set up the Kyan Prince Foundation uh, after his, his son's death. Um, obviously, that is now uh, the name of Loftus Road. Loftus, uh, Queen's, Queen's Park Rangers have adopted that name for their stadium. Um, and it's a, a, a quite a, I don't know, it's a harrowing piece, to be honest. It's one of the most emotional interviews I've ever 
done. I've, I, I suppose it, as a father, it makes you sort of feel slightly different when you're doing something like that. And it's uh, it, amazing man, Mark Prince is unbelievable strength of character and and uh, and sheer will to to get on with his life and to to do good. And this this charity is combating or attempting to educate and combat knife crime across London. And that is relevant, just as relevant to Chelsea as it is to QPR, as it is to Crystal Palace or Arsenal, Spurs or whatever. Um, an amazing, amazing man. I'd, I'd, uh, if people are if people are ready for it, they should have a read of that piece. Yeah, it's uh, great work from QPR. And he's also, Kayan Prince has also been included in the latest FIFA game, hasn't he? Which is a yeah. nice way. It's a great way for that. I mean, it's an absolutely genius way. I, initially, I was a bit uncomfortable with that, but then you actually think it through. And if you, if you want to to spread the message of of what happened his story and who he was and what he did and and what he could have become that's a just an absolutely genius way of doing it and i mean it's, it's again emotional when when mark was was shown the 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 image of Kyan as a 30 year old on the game because that's how he's been done it's how he, how he would be now um yeah it's it chokes you up Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up to read those articles if you're not currently a subscriber. Uh, We'll be back on Monday when we'll look back on the end of the Premier League season and ahead to the Champions League final. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic.